Happy for those of you who are joining online from around the world. The church now can be accessed around the world. You know, the world is a global village now and everything is online. So I'd like to welcome you online as well to this beautiful program. And those of you here at the church, it's great to see you. And I'll get to know each of you, I'm sure, as the week progresses. Let me hasten to say thanks to Dr. Liverpool and the leadership team of this church for the invitation to be here. And even though I've gotten lost a few times trying to drive to get right here, I'm right down the road, I, I missed two turns. That's, <laughs> it's a different side of the road I'm driving, you see. Um, I am still enjoying myself and I am happy that I can spend this time with you. It's just about nine minutes after 12 in the United Kingdom, so those who are making the sacrifice to stay up, <laughs> I would like to welcome them as well. My son did text me to say, Daddy, can you send me the link for the program? So he's 13 years old. He might just be up at this time. Daniel, if you're up, I love you, son, and thanks uh, for watching. We also have four other children, um, four children in, in total, so four others, I don't intend to make any more. We, we, you know, we have three girls and one boy, and I'll tell you a bit more about the family, my wife Carol, um, a bit later during the week as we go on. But tonight, we want to give God thanks and praise for just bringing us here and for His Spirit that will be upon us. During this week, we want you to, I want you to pray every hour on the hour for a revival in this church and, and those who are looking online. I think that if you roll over at 12 o'clock in the night and you have consciousness, pray. If you roll over at 3 o'clock in the morning and you have consciousness, just whisper a prayer. And if you get up early in the morning, just pray for this program that we can have a genuine revival. You know, the, the world has so many false Christians today. So many people are letting Jesus down. And we want to ask God to make us not <laughs> the kind of people who will let him down, but we want him to make us genuine Christians nice people who will share his love and his grace. We want to ask him to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. There, there's too much dampness around Christians when, you, when you, you speak to them, you listen to them. There, there is no power. And, 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 and if we say we are serving a God, who is all-powerful. We need to have power. We need to be part and parcel of that package of power that comes in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need to have power that when we pray for people according to God's will, they can be healed and delivered. We need to have power that when we place our hands on those who are demon-possessed, they can be liberated. We need to have power so that when we 
put our hands on our children and our young people and they're struggling with the addictions of this world, they can be liberated. It only comes with a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ because we can play church a lot, you know, we can do a lot of church playing, but we get found out when the rubber hits the road. And I want this week to be a week of power. I want this week to be a week of healing, a week of liberation, a week where we can genuinely come to the end and say, God, we have been with you and we will remain with you. That's what I'm asking God to do for us this week. And I'm asking you online and those here at church to make yourself available to God. Stop being busy Christians that are hollow and powerless and make yourself available to God this week that God can do something genuine for us. That's deep inside. Our subject tonight is living beyond the front room. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, this is your word. This is your service. These are your people, and I'm your preacher. But I pray, God, that there will be nothing within me that will prevent this word from flowing and making an impact in all of our lives. I pray, God, that if there's any trace of self, anything that would extol me above your word that you will take it away and that only your voice will be heard as this word goes forth so that your people can be blessed. God, we humble ourselves at your footstool. You take over. I give my mind to you. I give the minds of the audience to you, both online and in church. I pray, oh God, at the end of these meetings tonight that only you will be heard felt and applauded. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You see, a life submitted to God cannot fail. The Jamaican comedian Olivia Samuels, and I don't know if there are any Jamaicans around, you know, last time I asked that question in China and they were there, so I'm sure <laughs> someday. <laughs> The Jamaican comedian Oliver Samuels wrote a play about the front room. And he described this tenement yard. And for those of you who don't know what a tenement yard is, it's a compound where people live and they might be of the similar economic status, etc. Mostly poor people live in those areas. You, you know, we give different names. We say ghetto. Um, in, in, in England, we say council estates. You know, people of a similar uh, economic status, they live there. But they were living in this big apartment house, so to speak, uh, building. And they were living in various rooms. 
in this one building. But you see, this building had a front room. And this front room was the prized possession of the landlord. And this front room was the place where everybody wanted to get. Because if you lived in the front room, you suddenly elevated yourself. Even though you were still in the tenement yard, you thought that you were better than everybody else. But you were still in the tenement yard. Uh, but you were still in the same building, but you were in the front room. And somehow the front room had all the privileges and, and, and perks they thought. But it was still the same building and you were still in the same yard and you were still the same person. And so the front room became vacant, Doc. <laughs> and once the front room became vacant, all hell broke loose for the next person to get to the front room. So some began taking food to the landlord. Others began taking news <laughs> and gossip to the landlord about other tenants in the tenement yard. Uh, the, the, the landlord suddenly became the most important person to everybody because everybody had something to say to him, something nice. They went, while they were, were, were cursing him under their breath because of the rent, etc. But now because of the front room and them wanting to get there, everybody was very nice to the landlord. But there was this young lady who lived in that tenement yard. And she was not part of the fight to get to the front room. She wanted to elevate herself and get out of the tenement yard. Somebody ought to hear me here today. She wanted to elevate herself. She had a child. She was a single parent. And she wanted to get out of the tenement yard to better herself. So she invested her time in trying to do some subjects, to study some, some GCSE subjects or, or CXE subjects as it might be, or, or high school diploma or whatever you call it here. She wanted to get out, so she invested whatever little she had in getting that qualification so that she can study and become a teacher. Somebody ought to hear me here. And then to get out and get her own house. And while they were all fighting to get to the front room, this young lady had a mentality that said, I must go beyond the front room. In order for me to be successful. Because the front room keeps me in the same ghetto. The front room keeps me in the same tenement yard. The front room keeps me among the same people who will pull me down and destroy my name. But in order for me to make progress, I've got to get beyond. Somebody ought to hear me here. The front room. Sorry, I, I should have warned you. I jump a bit when I preach. I've got to get beyond the front room. And so she invested her time and invested herself. And she studied and became a qualified teacher. And she got a job, somebody out here, here, teaching in the school. And from there she was able to access a loan at the bank. And she bought a little home away from the tenement yard. And she moved in that day out of the tenement yard into that home with her daughter. And the story says that 
she continued to live happy there and develop herself while they continued to fight over the front room. And the landlord, in spite of all the food that he got, in spite of all the ackee and saltfish that they brought to him and, and the roast breadfruit and whatever else that they gave to him and all the gossip and the news that they brought to him, the landlord brought somebody else and put them in the front room. And so they lost everything while this young lady elevated herself and got out of the tenement yard. Are you in a tenement yard situation today where you are just living for the front room? In your Christian experience, are you just living for the front room? Just enough, just enough to survive, just enough so that everybody can say, look, I look good and, and I'm, I'm dressing nice and I'm coming to church and, and yeah, yeah, she's always present. But are you present in the body but absent from a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you living that experience in Mark chapter 9, and you can take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9, 14 to 29. That's where our story is. That's where we'll go, and that's where we will stay tonight. Mark chapter 9. And, and I have to say nowadays, you can turn your Bibles on as well. So you ought to take them out, or you turn them on. <laughs> it's digital, and, and it's printed. Mark 9, 14 to 29. Jesus Christ was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he had Peter, James, and John with him, and he was transfigured, and he spoke with, with, with Elijah and, and, and with Moses, and, and, and he was there carrying on a conversation, uh, presumably talking about his Im, impending death and, 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 and resurrection, and the disciples were there with him, Peter, James, and John, and they were high on this mountain. They were having great worship. They were listening to Sister Kwan sing. They were having church up there and they did not want to come down. They did not. They wanted to stay up there because to stay up there meant that you got everything. You got Jesus. You got Elijah. You got Moses. You got heavenly singing. You got heavenly worship and you are away from all the cares of the world and you are happy. So let's stay up on the mountain. But Jesus recognized that the church was not on the mountain the church was down in the valley where the, dis the, the distress was, where the pains were. That's where the church is supposed to be. Those of us who love to come to church and we have nice church buildings and we have good pews and we have the, the carpets are beautiful and everything is fine and we dress up and we come here to church and, and that's it for us. But when we leave... We go home and, and that's it. And the community could go to hell as far as we are concerned. That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be where the pain is. Can I get a witness here today? And so Jesus teaches us a powerful lesson when he says to the disciples, the show is over, let's go down into the valley. He says to them, as his father announced, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, etc., etc. He says, fine, the curtains are drawn, the show is over, and let's get down, Elder Young, to the valley. Because that's where the work is. What kind of Christian are you? Are you a mountaintop Christian or a valley Christian? Ah, uh, yeah, you must enjoy the mountaintop sometimes, but I'll tell you something, man. It's the valley where the service is. 
the valley where the service is. And, and Jesus knew why he was taking them down there because Jesus wanted to take them beyond the front room. He, he wanted them to see something. He wanted them to experience something. He wanted them to learn something. He wanted them to, to pattern their lives after him to understand what is important and how to get that importance. See, up in the valley, up in the mountain there, they were at the front room stage there. They were spectators of his majesty. Ah, oh, somebody ought to hear me here today. They were spectators of his majesty. They were watching all the glory. They were seeing the display of his splendor. But that was not what he wanted them to see and to do. They could see it, but he wanted them to understand that you don't get to the glory unless you have done the work. Somebody ought to hear me here today. You don't get to the glory unless you have followed Jesus Christ. You don't get to the glory unless you have experienced him. You don't get to the glory unless you have spent time with him in the closet. Somebody to hear me here. Because the principle that I've learned long time ago, church, is that God, whatever you and God agree on in the closet, is what he blesses you with openly. I'm going to say it again, Pastor. Uh, that, that, that whatever you and God agree in the closet is what he blesses you with openly. So when you see me getting my blessing, don't think that it just happened. God and I agreed it's in the closet. Somebody ought to hear me here now. <laughs> because I've got a relationship with him, and I will reap between the porch and the altar, and he will bless me as a result. So don't envy anybody for their blessing. I see my sister drive up with a brand new BMW X6, whatever, SUV, and we say, God, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Not again wrong with you. That's the sister's blessing. Bless God for it. <laughs> so here we are. I got invited to a housewarming, and, 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 and man, it's a mansion, a swimming pool, and all of that stuff. And I compare my three bedroom flat, and I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking, God, what, 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 what's happening with me? Uh, let's rejoice for the sister because that's her blessing. She and God agreed in the closet. Yeah. Maybe you need to visit the closet a bit more so the blessings could come. Amen. And maybe God sees that you can handle. That blessing. Because you're going to get so big-headed and so big-headed <laughs> that you're going to forget about him. He won't give you the blessing. I'm talking to somebody here tonight. So when they came down, God wanted, Jesus wanted to show them how to live beyond the front room. And they came down, the Bible says, and I read in your hearing, Mark 9, 14 to 29. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people, all the people, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Uh, then one of the crowd answered and said, one of the crowd, not the scribes, one of the crowd because the scribes were ashamed to talk to Jesus about what they were talking about. So somebody in the crowd, there's always somebody in the crowd who is willing to be bold. Yeah. That person answered and said, the teacher I, teacher, I brought 
you my son. And that someone in the crowd had to be the father of the boy. Teach, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Now watch what the word says. The Bible says that the, the, the father says, teacher, I brought you my son. But it wasn't the disciples who were dealing with him. <laughs> you didn't get that. <laughs> the, 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 the father said, I brought you. But unfortunately, I, I reached these hapless and helpless disciples of yours who are more interested in squabbling among themselves as to who is the greatest, who are more interested in carrying on a theological debate with the scribes than healing my son. Somebody ought to hear me here tonight. These disciples, I brought you my son, but I reach up with these disciples of yours who even though they walked with you all of this time, nothing seemed to have rubbed off on them from you. I brought you, my son, but these disciples that you have here, they're more interested in debating and fault-finding and accusing. But they have no power to do anything about this boy. Our church, the Ipsalante, and those online, can that describe some of us? Where people come to us for help, they come for prayer, but they can receive nothing because we have nothing to give. Our relationship is just a shell. Our relationship is just uh, uh, what people see and not what they get. Our relationship is just something that we, we, we are existing, but that we are not living. Liberation 2022 has come by here to let you know that you can have the power of Jesus Christ, but you've got to do the disciplines of Jesus Christ. He continues, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He forms at a mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. That they should cast it out, but they could not. Damning words for any Christian. Damning words for any Sunday Adventist who worship God on the true holy day, the Sabbath day. Who believes that Jesus Christ is coming again. Who believes and teaches that there is a millennium. That the devil will be judged. Uh, somebody to hear me here who believes that there is a sanctuary and Jesus Christ is ministering in the most holy place now. Who believes that there is an investigative judgment that's going on right now for any seven-day Alvarez. This is a damning report and they could not cast him out. And he answered and said, Jesus, oh Jesus. He answered him and said, oh faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. You came in the first place, daddy, <laughs> to bring your boy to me. I was not here 
but my representatives let you down. So now, my sisters and my brothers, you have let him down, so you bring him to me. And I will teach not only you a lesson, but I will teach my disciples a lesson as to how they can deal with living beyond the front room of spiritual existence. Bring him to me. And then he continues, he said, well, how long shall I be here with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this boy been, this been happening to him? Then he said, from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, desperation, if you can do anything, I think that as Christians, we have got to get to a point of desperation in our quest for holiness. Somebody ought to hear me here, Doc. Uh, we have got to get to a point of desperation for the power of the Holy Spirit. We have got to get a point of desperation to say, God, like Finney said once, give me Scotland or I die. We have got to get to a point of desperation to say, give me Ypsilanti or I die. We have got to get to a point of desperation that God will give us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Some of us are not serious enough so we wouldn't get the Holy Spirit. But this father said, God, if you can do anything, save my boy. If you can do anything, save my children. If you can do anything, church, save the young people. If you can do anything, save the families in this neighborhood. If you can do anything, save my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. Are we desperate? for God to do something for us. He said from childhood. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Watch God. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe. Somebody say believe. I know you have your mask on and all of that stuff. But he said, if you can believe. All things, somebody say all. all. All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit, trying to make himself Foolish for one last time, 
cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. He arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. The spirit church was unclean. It compelled him to, to acts of filthiness. Acts of filthiness. Now you can think about acts of filthiness. I don't have to be graphic here tonight to upset anybody's stomach. But whatever filthiness you can think about that a spirit did to and with this young boy, that's what he did. Whether throwing him into unclean stuff, casting him into garbage, whatever it is, he did it. It also made him dumb and deaf. It made him dumb so that he could not tell of his sorrows. Oh, for those of us who have children, we know that when they are babies, you know, when I had to recall clearly my first uh, daughter, uh, our first daughter there, she's now 23 years old, when, when she was, was born and she was just about two months old, she would just cry and cry and cry. And we were like, what is happening with this girl? You know, when you're young parents, you know, new, new parents, you don't even have a clue what you're doing. But, She's just crying. We're like, what? One night she cried so much, we rushed her to the hospital. She, when, when she got to the hospital, she stopped crying. And nurse said, no, nothing is wrong with this girl. Take her back home. <laughs> and at that point, because they cannot speak for themselves, you are worried. You don't know what's happening with them. This young boy was dumb. The spirit made him dumb. He could not tell his mother or his father or anybody what's happening in him, with him. He could not tell of his pains. He could not tell how he felt. The devil, when the devil takes hold of your life, he makes you dumb. He makes you not even able to tell of your sorrows or of your pain when the devil takes hold of someone's life. You're asking them how you're feeling and they can't tell you. When, when the devil takes hold of somebody's life, you can see that they are in pain, but they can't describe it to you. When the devil takes hold of somebody's life, he has them in such a vice-like grip that they are wanting to speak but cannot speak. Couldn't tell of his sorrows. And the devil continues with his cruelness to this boy. He makes him deaf. So that no word of strengthening, of consolation could be spoken to him. Nobody, he couldn't hear the word of God. He couldn't hear the preaching. He couldn't hear the prayers. He could not hear anything because he was not only dumb, he was also deaf. And that's what the devil does when he takes hold of a life. He makes the person deaf to the word of God, deaf to the preaching, deaf to good advice, deaf to the prayers, deaf to anything that makes sense. And when we see people who are bound by the devil, bound by sin, bound 
But the pains of this world, they're not only dumb, they are deaf as well. And the devil has made it that way so that their life will be miserable. They have no control over their lives. They have no control over the decisions that they make. They have no control over their circumstances and their situations. And we may think that it's because they want that. We may think that it's because they're stubborn. We may think that because they're disobedient or they are disrespectful. We may think that they just have made that choice. But when the devil takes hold of somebody's life, he makes that life dumb and deaf. And so when we, as a church, and as a family, when we are praying for people, we have got to weep between the porch and the altar that God will release their spirit in the spiritual realm so that in the physical realm, they can hear, and they can see, and they can speak. Because where principalities and powers dwell, we don't dwell there. Where principalities and powers are, we have no access there. But God dwells in the unseen. God dwells in the spirit realm. God dwells where the mind is made up. God dwells where the mind is loosed. God made, dwells where the mind is strengthened and where the power is. And so when we petition his throne, we should ask him to break the mind in the spiritual realm so that they can walk and come to church because that's where the power is. Sometimes we try to treat the symptoms. But the problem is in the spiritual realm, the spiritual dimension. That's where the problem is. And we try to do everything we can for the symptoms. When this boy came to Jesus, Jesus had to break the mind in the spiritual realm. Note carefully what Jesus did. He didn't just touch him and say be healed. He said come out of him. He this, this Jesus, the powerful Jesus. He is talking to the spirits, the language they understand. He said come out of him. And when he came out of him, then... He touched him because physically now he can feel the touch, Sister Kwan. Physically now, Pastor, he can know that somebody loves him and somebody cares for him. See, before when his father hugged him, he couldn't feel. When his father told him that he loved him, he couldn't hear. When his father told him that he's praying for him, he didn't understand because the devil had him. Bound, head, feet, toes, everything. But now we can feel the touch. Now we can know somebody loves him. Now we can cry because he feels the pain. Now he knows that God is large and in charge of his life because God broke his mind, broke the shackles, broke the power in the spiritual realm. That's why when we say we are intercessors and we are praying for people, it's no ordinary job. 
When we say we are intercessors and we are praying for people, it's no ordinary thing that you are doing. You are putting your life on the line. He couldn't hear anything. It was almost a misfortune to him not to be blind, for he could contrast his sad state with that of other youths around him. This is how cruel the devil is. And some of us, even as church members, we love to flirt with the devil. When the devil takes hold of you, he takes hold of you. Don't flirt with him. Don't give him an inch. He takes a yard and a couple of miles as well. The devil did not blind him. The devil, in order to compound his pain, his psychological suffering, and everything that goes with that, he allows him to see his other young boys, young people playing and having fun. But if he attempts to join in, he's thrown into the fire. He's thrown into the water. He's thrown into filth. Because the devil was not only possessing him physically, he was possessing him psychologically as well. And that's down your street, Pastor. Possessing him psychologically, messing up his mind. Why can't I play football like the others? I have the strength, I have the ability, I have everything else, but why can't I do this? As soon as I go to do it, I'm thrown into the fire, I'm convulsed. I can't do it. And the pain continues. Ah, know the sad capacity of the human life for suffering and degradation. I'm sure that you have seen and have heard of people who have suffered like this. People who have gone through pain and hardships. Think of those who have taken drugs and, and, and they're addicted. That constant dependency on this substance. The needle marks in the hands and in the feet or wherever they can find a vein. The breath that has alcohol and, and cigarettes and everything else upon it. The scars mm. on the body because of the battles that they have fought. Yes. Yes. The moral degradation of selling themselves to get some substance just to live for another moment. Think about the suffering and the degradation that the devil subjects humanity to. Think of the pain that children have caused their parents. Think of husbands and wives who fight and, and those who kill each other. In London, it's about knives. In, in, in America, it's about guns. Think of how many people who have suffered. And when you think about them, think a little more. Because whatever you can think about human suffering is not a piece of the story. It is 1,000% worse than you can think about. 
I can remember during the genocide in Rwanda, one lady was talking, made a doc, they made a documentary out of it. This lady, she was raped, she said, so many times. She just was lying there for two weeks without being washed, without being, having a bath or anything, and every 10 minutes, a soldier will come in and rape her. Think about suffering, and then think some more. When the devil takes hold of a life. He does a thorough job. He leaves no stone unturned. So if you as a Christian want to play with the devil, stop it because he doesn't play. Well, he does play, but he plays for keeps. Keeps. No, the father's story. The father said, God, he has been tossed here and thrown there and been there. He's frothing here. He's catching seizures here. The father describes the story of a boy who has grown up in pain and in suffering. Note the Savior's answer. The Savior says, after the boy, the father concludes that I brought him to your disciples and they could do nothing. Jesus says, faithless generation. In that reproof of faithless generation, he includes his own disciples who should have been able to cast out the demon. Faithless generation. A front room generation. Contented with just the morsels of spiritual life. The crumbs of spiritual life. No deep relationship with Jesus Christ. They just want the basics. Faithless generation. He includes the scribes as well. The scribes. These guys. The scribes. They were just busy arguing church politics. They are also faithless. And those who argue church politics and involved in that are faithless as well. The father of the boy. This father who had this boy. The mother is not mentioned, but a father is mentioned. You will tell me that you have a son that a devil is doing this to. You are surrounded by spiritual people. So-called spiritual people, the, the, the priests, the temples, it's a religious society. And this boy is like this? As a father, couldn't you have wept between the porch and the altar to make God do something for this boy? You're running with this boy from pillar to post trying to get help for him. What about your relationship with God? Couldn't you have done something? Faithless. 
He says, in essence, all of you are a faithless generation. How long will I be, he says, with you? How long? Note very carefully, Jesus said, bring him to me. You have tried your own power. You have tried the power of the scribes. And they are arguing. You have tried the power of my disciples and they are powerless. Now you try my power. Amen. I will bring healing to him. The glorious thing about this is that the glorious power of Christ to heal and restore a human life is that is destroyed, devastated, and degenerated by the devil is still powerful today. It does not matter what you have committed, where you have gone, how you have been possessed, or what life you have, Jesus Christ can still restore your life today. Still has the power. Note, the power of prayer and faith that speaks to the Father's distress. Note the suffering and the pain that comes when we depart from divine orders. Note the conditions of success for spiritual work. You see, the mere authority of office is insufficient for doing great works. Some of us think if we get an office in the church, we are good. We could do great things. But in God's kingdom, whether you are apostle or you are a disciple, or you are a prophet, a teacher, a preacher, a visitor, a, te a ruler, whoever you are, all of us are taught that there is a condition of heart needed as well as an investiture of office. In other words, we have got to know Jesus Christ because there's no endowment of power or gift set aside the necessity for the lowly spiritual exercises like prayer and fasting. There is nothing that you can say that will set aside those lowly exercises. That's the basis of the power. Because faith and prayerfulness describes the true condition of the soul. And God will say that you have power with God and man. And like he told Jacob, you have fought with God and man and you have prevailed. Let me tell you something, friends. God is still in the power distribution business. He is still in the distribution of power business. Those of us who wield spiritual weapons, because they're not carnal, we must maintain spiritual sensibility. And spiritual sensibility means that we have got to continue that true fast which is a redrawment from the spirit of the world and into the, the, the realm of Jesus Christ. And the realm of Jesus Christ takes you beyond the front room. Beyond the front room. You know the thing about it, and this is a sad part of this story, if you think that the boy's condition was sad, indeed it was. The father's condition, as I rushed to a close, was sad, and indeed it was. The, the disciples, the scribes, the scribes' condition, that was sad as well. 
But you know what is the saddest part about this? Is the disciples. Because according to Mark 6, 7, these disciples had received the power before. Mark's, Mark chapter 6 and verse 7 says, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And if you continue to read that chapter, you will see that these disciples came back rejoicing, saying, God, the spirits have been subjected to us. They had a good time witnessing for Christ because they had the power. But gradually, they lost the power because they began to think, who is the greatest? They began to think, Am I better than, P I'm better than Peter? They got their poor mothers involved. Mothers of James and John came and said, Oh, oh Jesus, when, when, you, when you come, when your kingdom comes, can you put one of my sons on the right and one on the left? They, even their poor mother, they got involved in the foolishness. And sometimes we get people involved in all kinds of foolish things, following us and the foolish things that we do. And now, they had zero power. Because gradually, it had been eroded over time. And so they came to a place where they were staring failure in the face. And the, re the reason, there were three reasons. And it's those same three reasons that causes us to fail. Weakness of faith, neglect of prayer, the lack of the Holy Spirit. For every Christian who has failed, those are the three reasons. Lack of faith, neglect of prayer, weakness of faith, neglect of prayer, and the lack of the Holy Spirit. As we close here tonight, I don't know what's your spiritual condition. I don't know where you are in your spiritual experience. But what I do know is that Jesus is still in the power distributing business. And he can give you the power that you need. I don't know what your closet experience is like. I don't know how much time you spend with God on your own. But if you don't, or if you just do just enough to survive, he wants you to go beyond the front room. What about your family, your children? Have you spent enough time praying for them? Asking God, weeping between the porch and the altar for them? Spending time in that closet so that God can break the addictions that are in their lives? Because like this father who brought the boy, you can bring your children to God. And he 
will save them. You may be looking at this broadcast on, online, and maybe in the future. You might not have seen it now, but you might see it in the future. But I'll I say to you, what is the thing that's holding you back? What is the power that's keeping you down? What is tying up your life so that you cannot follow Jesus fully? You cannot get a moral breakthrough, a financial breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough. You might not be able to put your hand on it because the devil has made you dumb and he has made you deaf. But I say to you tonight that Jesus Christ can break the chains in your life and set you free. And to all of us tonight, when Jesus Christ said, bring him to me, you know what he was doing? <laughs> he was saying, look, the front room of your existence is too limited. Not only he should come to me, but you should come to me as well. Because here stands a reservoir of power that can save everybody and empower everybody. Why don't we tonight, as we go, renew our relationship with Jesus in a very powerful and intimate way? Perhaps over the years, the COVID periods, etc., we have fallen into lackadaisicalness. We have taken our spiritual relationship for granted. We have been so encumbered with survival. Financial survival, physical survival, health survival, that somehow Jesus is outside of our relationship. Why don't we start again? Start again. Let's begin again with Jesus Christ tonight. Let's go home and, and let's spend half an hour, half an hour, with Jesus. Just, just talking to him. Turn off everything, the phone, whatever, you know, all the notifications that you get. Turn them off. And let's spend half an hour with Jesus. And you will see the difference. Because I'll tell you something. One day, a demon-possessed person will come to you. A demon-possessed child may turn up. And what will you do? But if Jesus Christ has given you the power, you can do a miracle on his behalf. And that's what we have to prepare for. To help people to break the chains that are binding them. And we can't do it without Jesus Christ. 
So if you'd like to make that commitment tonight, that you will spend some time with Jesus starting all over again, why don't you stand with me as I pray? Those of you online, let's bow our heads. And those here, as we pray, Father, we commit ourselves to you. And we pray today that like you did of old, you will give us the power so we can live beyond the front room of our present spiritual existence. As you take us home safely, may you go with us and revive us and bless us so that we can bless someone else is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.